Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. This is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories from the students in our class and a little bit about how to write your own stories. I'm Allison Langer, a student in the class. I'm Andrea Askowitz, the teacher of the class. Together we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, I mean the truth in a story. And by art, I mean the craft of writing. Andrea and I fell in love with a story we received in our spring writing contest. We asked you all to write about something you don't understand. I don't understand why I thought it would be a good idea to have three children (laughs) alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The alone part. Um, What don't you understand? No, I don't understand why anyone has three children. That's a lot. What about four children? I know people with five and six children. Right. That's out of control. No, because then they can babysit each other. That was the smart part. Well, I don't understand why I need so much attention. Though I'm coming to understand it because I've been writing about it for a long time. What What have you come up with? Oh, geez. I have a whole book. I don't know why you have to be such a perfectionist. That's what I don't understand. What don't you understand about me? I don't understand why it bothers you that I want to be a perfectionist. Because I like crossing things off my list. I know. Done with the episode. And then you wake up and you go, hey, I thought about something. Let's redo it. We gave this prompt because I think great writing starts with a question. Writing is about figuring out what you don't understand. It's a discovery process. We receive stories about not understanding why you text back and forth with your old lover, even though he has a new girlfriend. Why you gave up the violin after finally making it. Why your boyfriend thinks you should support him. And why you don't want to. We received so many amazing stories, and it was hard to pick just one. But Gina Fleming blew us away. Gina's story is coming up, but first, a word from our sponsor. Welcome back. This is Allison. Gina Fleming is up next with her winning story. On the surface, my life seems normal. I stay at home with my 17-month-old daughter. We play hide-and-seek. We go outside and play on the treehouse my dad built for her. We go to the store where at least three people exclaim, oh, she's so cute, before we check out. We go to a friend's house and visit so she can play with their children. We meet my mom every Thursday for dinner and we visit my elderly grandmother several times a week. We come home, eat dinner and take a bath. Then we go to bed, wake up the next morning and do it all over again. Every other Friday, we pick up her sister, my six-year-old for the weekend. We play Barbies, do crafts, throw a ball around outside. We watch terrible Disney shows. We sing along to K-pop songs, even though we don't understand Korean and have no clue what the words mean. At the end of the day, we climb into her top bunk, where I read her a chapter from Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Because she likes it, and because I refuse to have a child that's not as obsessed with the boy wizard as I am. I scratch her back as she goes to sleep, as I've done since she was a baby. I kiss her on the forehead and finally sneak away for some me time. 
But all is not what it seems. What I described is what I do all day, but it's not what the outside world sees, and it's not who the state has labeled me as. Every three months, I drive to the local sheriff's office, hand them $20, and have my picture taken. This photo was then uploaded to a website where it's accessible to anyone who wants to see it. Along with my picture, they post all of my information. My address, height, weight, a description of my tattoo, my hair color, birth date, and my car's license plate number. Every October on or before my birthday, I'm required to go to the DMV to update my license. This ID marks me as special. It sets me apart. In black print in the bottom left corner are the letters R-O. This ensures that everywhere I go, anywhere I might show my ID, people will know what I am, a registered offender. I will do all of this for the next 25 years. Every other Thursday, I drive an hour to my grandmother's house so she can watch my daughter. Then I drive another 40 minutes to meet with my probation officer. The meetings last no more than 10 minutes. On these days, I also meet with my sex offender treatment provider. As part of my treatment, I'm required to take polygraph tests every six months. These are paid for by me at $250 a piece. The results of these tests and treatment reports are shared amongst the counselor and probation officer. I'm not allowed a copy of either. As part of my three-year probation sentence, I have to follow strict rules made just for sex offenders. I can't go anywhere children congregate. I can't have contact with anyone under 18, including my own family members. And I must spend Halloween at the probation office with all the other sex offenders. I can't take my girls to the zoo or the park or a pumpkin patch in October. Even the kids' section at the library is off-limits. One of the worst consequences is that I'm not allowed at my daughter's school. I can't pick her up, see her Christmas programs, or meet with her teachers. When she's walking across the stage in her cap and gown 12 years from now, I won't be there to cheer her on. I live in a perpetual state of fear of breaking a rule or failing a polygraph and being sent to prison. On the bad days, the days when it all hits me, I look at what my life has become and I feel horror and shame. My thoughts spiral downward, and before I know it, it feels like I'm stuck at the bottom of a deep hole with no way to climb up. I feel so lost, and I wonder, how did I get here? I once was. I once was. Butterfly. Five years ago, I was married, had a home, two dogs, and a beautiful baby girl. I had just started working in an alternative school for troubled teens. I fancied myself Michelle Pfeiffer in Dangerous Minds, making a difference. Our school was a dumping ground for students that the normal school didn't want. There was no administration on the premises, so if a student did something out of line, there were no consequences. One time, a junior boy shoved a girl up against the whiteboard in my room, then slammed the door so hard it cracked from handle to hinge. I felt unsafe and unsupported. However, despite this, or maybe because of it, 
there was a certain emotional closeness that developed with the students. Meanwhile, my life at home was falling apart. My emotionally abusive marriage had worn me down, and I didn't even know who I was anymore. I moved out, hoping things would change. It was the worst pain of my life. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't focus. I lost weight. I only saw my daughter half of the time, and when she was gone, I would lay on her bed, hold her stuffed animals, and sob until I fell asleep. And that's how it happened. It was my fault. It was wrong. I was his teacher. I did it because I was lost, lonely, sad, and insecure. I felt utterly worthless, like a piece of trash. I lost sight of my values, my boundaries, and the ethics of my profession. At the time, I didn't see him as the adolescent he was. I never thought of it as abusive. I cared about him. I reasoned that because he was over the age of consent, 16 in my state, that it was okay. That because he flirted with and pursued me, I wasn't hurting anyone. I was only thinking about the connection I felt. Somebody cared. Somebody wanted me. But I was in denial. The truth is, I was selfish, and I used him to ease my pain and fulfill my unmet emotional needs. I hurt many people with my actions, so many that sometimes, when I think about it, I can't breathe. If I could take it all back, I would. Eight months after the relationship ended, I was charged with unlawful sexual relations, a felony for anyone in the position of authority who engages in a sexual relationship with someone in their care. It applies to coaches, corrections officers, social workers, and teachers. I know what I did was inappropriate, and I deserve consequences for my actions. But I wish the system made more sense. I don't know how not allowing me to take my own children to the zoo or library protects the public or how keeping me in a room with 140 other offenders on Halloween saves anyone, or how publicly labeling me and branding my driver's license is supposed to make the world a better place. When I begin to spiral, the shame and guilt and worthlessness overtake me, and I have dangerous thoughts. But then, I look at my daughters, and I will myself to hold on. I hold on for them. I hold on to them. With their little hands in mine, I try to remember that I'm more than what the label implies. Could you see me for everything I am? Would you find me through the if those answers were clear upon your head. This is Allison again. When I read her last line about what the label implies, it brought me back to my story. Hate to make this about me, but I will for a second. In our very first episode, it was my story about losing a child, and I didn't want to be labeled. That woman who lost a child, only that woman who lost a child. So immediately when I heard this line, I was like, oh, 
God. I felt for her. There's more to a person than just the label. Right. And this woman has to carry it on her license. It, it follows her everywhere she goes. What I love about this story is that Gina Fleming brought humanity to a person who is labeled a sex offender. I mean, she made a mistake and she admits it. She takes full responsibility. But she's showing us what her, what her everyday life is like. She's still a person. With children. And yep. she can't go to their graduation. She can't pick them up from school. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's like opening up that label and showing us the behind the scenes. Like an RO, registered offender, is not just the creepy man that we envision in our minds. These are real people who have made big mistakes, but they still are loving, beautiful people in so many ways. I think I'm particularly sensitive to this whole label issue right now because I'm teaching writing in prison. Maybe our listeners don't know yet that I'm, I go into the Dade County Correctional Institute with Exchange for Change, this organization that brings writing into the prisons. So my class is 18 inmates. They sit in a semicircle and I give them prompts and we write and we go through a syllabus just like writing class radio. And these guys, they're forever going to be labeled criminals. So I worry for this woman also that now that she's a registered offender, who's going to hire her? She's a, she's a mom. She's trying to support two kids. So when I read it, I was like, oh, people, I have to understand that there are actually real people more than just the label. All right. You want to talk about the writing? It was so amazing. I loved it. Not just for this whole humanization issue, which is important, but also because she wrote this story so well. Gina is an amazing writer. I agree. What she did so well is she like unpacked the story kind of backwards. So she went at it differently than what I usually teach, which is like set the reader up with who, what, where, when. And what I usually teach in class is to tell a story in chronological order, because usually that's the way the brain hears stories best. But she didn't do that. What she did was she took us to where she is now, who she is now, and then she works backwards. And she kind of starts with a scene, right? So she pulls us in with a scene like that she's, you know, she gives us her life in a picture about her normal normal life right now. Normal. I'm putting it in quotes. Yeah, that first paragraph where she's, you know, she's hanging out with her daughter watching Annoying Disney. Yeah, she sets it up. And then she uses details so well. She tells us the specific Harry Potter that she's reading with her children. And I think by starting with the fact that she was such a loving mother that she's watching these Disney shows and doing all this stuff, when we get to the part where she can't pick her kids up from school and she's never going to see them graduate, you know, (gasps) the stakes were so high. I just loved her and I didn't want this to happen to her. That is true. That was a great setup and sad payoff. She sets up who she was. She explains that she was desperate, that she just wanted love, which is something we can all understand. We understand how something like that could have happened, how she would not have had good judgment at the moment, in the moment. I felt like it took a while to figure, for her to tell us what exactly she did. But I actually also thought that it served the story because it's, that's the point. The point is she's a lot more than just a registered offender.
Thank you for listening to Writing Class Radio. If you love this podcast, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. It matters. Ratings help other people find us. If you have a business or a startup, let us help you tell that story. Andrea will come to your office and teach all of your employees how to better articulate what they do and why they do it. Because stories sell. And I am also up for hire. I'll come to your retreat and help guests write through their shit so they can live free. Writing for Therapy. Writing Class Radio is produced by Virginia Laura, Andrea Askwitz, and me, Allison Langer. Theme music by Ari Herstand. Additional music by Adriel Borshansky, Poddington Bear, and Wineland. Writing Class Radio is sponsored by and recorded at the University of Miami School of Communication. This episode is sponsored by the Sanibel Island Writers Conference, November 2nd through the 5th, 2017. There's more writing class on our website, Twitter, and Facebook. Study the stories we study and listen to our craft talks. Also, you can write along with our community by posting on our daily prompt page or record what you wrote with the voice memo on your cell phone and email it to us at info at writingclassradio.com. Wait, I want to tell people that they can write on our prompt page and give and get feedback from each other. There's a lot of stories on there, so go for it. We love getting stories, so stay tuned for details about our next writing contest. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? I thought you were going to say, I don't understand why you don't understand why I don't understand. (laughs) That's funny. It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.